0: Episode 51 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with Matt Wilmot, the Head of Fitness and Conditioning at MK Dons. Matt came on to talk mainly about speed exposure and the work they do at MK and also return to play principles. So it's great to catch up with Matt. I hope you enjoy the episode with him. We said last time on the podcast that if anyone left a review between the last podcast and this podcast and we give out a ebook, one of our resources we've got a couple that i'm going to read out and these guys need to get in touch so david says another quality podcast as always as a young practitioner i couldn't recommend this podcast enough so david underscore kells drop us a email mail at footballfitfed.com and we'll get an ebook sent out to you and then also uh, dino md said always good to listen to the podcast very honest with people with a lot of experience and knowledge in the industry and the same thing for you just reach out mail at footballfitfed.com and we'll get an ebook sent out i hope you enjoyed this episode with matt it was great to speak to him um, he goes into loads of detail on everything they're doing down at mk make sure you reach out let us know what you think of the episode here's the episode with matt Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Matt Wilmer, who is the head of fitness and conditioning at MK Dons. Matt, thank you very much for coming on the podcast on your day off. Thanks for having me. I know you've said that um, just before we went live that these are very, very rare occasions that you get a couple of days off in a row. So I appreciate you giving up your time, eh? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very rare, but uh, we'll take them when they come for sure. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm not giving you the line that you should be having on this day <laughs> either. So I uh, appreciate you getting up, and getting up and chatting to me. But well, do you want to kick us off, mate? Take us, take us through your story so far. So I just mentioned your current role. But well, take us um, through where you've been, what you've been up to to get you to where you are today. Yeah. So I originally studied at the University of Birmingham uh,
1: between 2008 and 2011 in Sport and Exercise Science. Um, I then carried on did a master's degree. Um, which a part of that, you did a sort of a season-long student placement and I managed to get it with MK Dons, sort of relative, my local club relatively. Um, And sort of I I follow football and play football a lot of my life, but to have that sort of experience up close and personal with, you know, for a whole season in the first team, it was fantastic. Um, I learned so much um, and and sort of met so many good people. Following this, uh, I sort of got a, got a role within the academy at MK Dons um, and sort of developed that and went into more of a sports science role. Um, It was sort of a brand new role at the club at the time. It was around the time of, you know, the real introduction of EPPP and and the requirements there. Um, The club did have sort of good ambitions to go uh, category two and and in the future category one. Um, It's kind of of proud and got a real pedigree of developing um, their academy players. So I think they did have the ambition to really go Category 2, Category 1. Um, so they wanted to push the staff in, in that way. So I was able to sort of develop a, a sports science and s S&C program from a sort of a blank canvas, really, um, which, was a, which was a really good experience for me, um, obviously with the help of a lot of people um, and, the, and the coaches there, which was great. Uh, from there, I was there game for about t- three years. Um, and then from there, I was offered a role. Uh, at Leicester by Kev Paxton, um, as a sports scientist working within the youth development phase and then went on to become a lead s and coach there for the academy, working primarily with the 23s and the under-23 players. Um, and I was there again for about a couple of years, um, which was fantastic. Working under Kev, probably one of the, the best practitioners that I've definitely worked with. Um, I learned a huge amount um, and some great staff there at Leicester. Um, From there, I suppose, under difficult circumstances, back at MK Dons, you know, with changes of managers and and sort of changes of staff, um, I was able to, I was offered a a role back at MK Dons as head of of fitness and conditioning role, um, which I sort of had to snatch at, um, you know, it's a club that has massive ambition, um, have been able to go in and sort of continue to build on the sports science program there that they already had, which was, which was good, um. We've had a little bit of success. We got promote, promotion last year, um, and we're sort of constantly looking to improve and develop the work we do to, to sort of help the club fulfil its ambition, and especially with the chairman, the ambition that he's got for the club.
0: So, so that's where I am right now. So I know you mentioned having the, uh, the blank canvas when you went into the role. It was initially at MK Don's the first time, wasn't it, that you said okay. about yeah. Um, so what was your approach with that, Matt? What were the sort of considerations you had to make? And, and what was the first like, steps you t- took in that position?
1: Um, well, so being myself and, and obviously having a little bit of, you know, you have the under-9s, the under-18s at the time. So it's quite a lot of squads. I think the worst thing we could have done would have just gone in and said, we're going to do... We're going to work a category one level. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We need to do all of this. And I think the best thing we did from an, from an approach was just simplify it. So it What's bang for your buck? It was mainly the work with the full-time players, the under-18s. So making sure they're getting regular sports science support on pitch and in the gym. Um, we were able to have GPS at that point with the academy um, down from the, from the first team. Um, at that time, it just happened at change of contracts meant that we was able to, to purchase a load of units from catapult. Um, and then really it was mainly just filtering in some sports science support down the age groups, working with particular age groups, the ones that are highlighted risks, um, you know, your your youth development phase, the ones that are going to go through their biggest growth and maturation changes. Where can we get our biggest bang for our buck? um, and that's really the main consideration we had. There's no point in trying to you know, reinvent the wheel and, and make ridiculous changes across the whole academy and, and say you're going to do five or six sessions each with each age group because it's just not realistic. It was me on my own. Um, where can we get the biggest impact, the biggest influence, um, and then slowly try and build in the program to the younger age groups, whether it's through coach education, whether it's through you know getting some more staff in um but really it was just trying to get the biggest impact to the to the age groups that you have most contact time with which was again the under 16s the under 18s
0: yeah i think that's interesting cuz a lot of people be in a similar position that they have a, a number of players and there's only going to be one possibly two staff members in in control of the program so it's it's just good to put your brains on the approach you took and obviously there you saying prioritising the the ones you had the most contact time with and then trying to filter it through to the other age groups. That was it. It, it. It's
1: mainly, you know, get a framework in place. You know, you can't stretch yourself across different age groups, different sites. You know, we worked off different sites at times. Our gym is based at our stadium and our training grounds sort of 10 minutes down the road. So you can't physically be at two places at once. So you've got to have your framework and just try and filter it down um, I think coach education is a massive one um, try and develop some kind of uh, program where coaches may be able to lead certain parts of it um, multi Swap program for example is, is a perfect example on that um, by developing that you will get good physical developments um, and it's sort of influencing some kind of physical work but you not having to necessarily do it yourself. If you can educate other people, then, then you're kind of generating a much greater influence across the academy.
0: And I think this will tie in with that, obviously moving across roles and moving across clubs and leagues. But what were, and this can, you can take this any way you want, but what were some of the biggest differences between working at a Premier League club and the Football League club?
1: Um. I suppose that the biggest, the biggest difference was purely contact time, I suppose. You have a lot more contact time with, with, the, um, with the players. Um, you know, when you're MK, you kind of, I was sort of stretched across different, different roles. You're kind of doing... Um, it's a sort of lead, lead sort scientist in a in Category 3, Category 2 club. You can't kind of stretch. You, you know, you're a sports scientist. You are... Uh, nutritionist or, you know, psychologist at times, you're, you're helping out with the physio, with rehab. Whereas when I went to Leicester and, and the staffing structure they had in place, you are kind of working down into a more of an expertise field, whether it's uh, maturation and you're working on working with the under-14s or the under-15s, whether it's under-23s S&C and you're really trying to implement some kind of strength stimulus and some kind of power work And from a performance point of view you are really narrowing down what you're doing and the contact time you get with those type of players is much more. So you've got to really have a bit more pressure and a bit more um, sort of expectation to to do a good quality of work. Um, Often when you work sort of within the football league and you are trying to do bang for your buck type work, Um, but at a Premier League club, you really have to work at the highest level and at the highest quality and and the players expect that, the staff expect that. Um, So I think that's the biggest difference, really. It's just, you know, you don't have the time or the the balancing act that you might need at the Football League and you really just have to work one-on-one with players and, and sort of get the best working possible.
0: Yeah, I think that is very applicable to a lot of people out there um, in similar positions. That, that's really good to discuss. But I know you mentioned Kev Paxton before as well. So what were some of the biggest things you took away from working with him? Um, Kev, Kev's fantastic.
1: Um, for those that know Kev and, and um, have, have met Kev before, he doesn't, doesn't mince his words. He says it as it is. Um, he's very passionate about sports science, strength and conditioning. Um, he's doing some great stuff now at UKCA. Um The biggest thing he would push on, on us would be work with players, work with people. Um, he would get frustrated if, if there was people sat in the office on their laptops um, when there's players that could be worked with in the gym or, or in the functional area or out on the pitch. That was the biggest thing that he sort of and it on everyone if you can do some work do it the admin can come when it needs to don't be sat in the in the office just on your laptop spending hours on pma at the time um that was his biggest thing work with players that's what you're here to do your practitioners get out there and and do some real practical work with with the players
0: yeah, I think that's really uh, evident at the moment that practitioners are trying to make that transition, aren't they, from sitting behind computers to actually building relationships, communicating well, um, and then that filters through into performance then, doesn't it, massively? Oh, huge. It's, it's, that's what
1: we're here to do with. As you say, we are practitioners, and I know even the, the research world is going to, into more applied, applied research and how can we make the difference actually working with players um, rather than having something fantastic-looking, spreadsheet or a fantastic looking um, programme what are we doing actually with the players and, and influencing the players um, directly out, out on the pitch or in the gym that's the main thing um, that's where you'll get your biggest your biggest adaptation, your biggest influence on the player
0: And to take you forward into your current role that what are some of the, the biggest challenges you face on a daily basis? Um, I think if you're probably most people,
1: if you speak at sort of the Football League level, the, the biggest challenge, I suppose they'll always say, for me, it's being able to balance the squad's needs. Um, within the Football League, you know, you have in- incredible fixture congestion at times throughout the season. Often plans. you know, Saturday, Tuesdays, we have league games, cup competitions, reserve fixtures, under twenty-threes fixtures. We're always having to, to really balance a squad. Um, you naturally sort of develop different groups within your squad some that are playing regularly and and perhaps overloaded and then there's some that aren't really playing as much or playing 30 minutes here 45 60 minutes there and they're potentially being underloaded so you know you may develop situations where there's players that will be needing completely different things or different stimulus from a physical perspective but the the coach may require them altogether from a tactical or technical perspective within training so I think our biggest, our biggest challenge or role is to provide the support that enables each player individually to develop what they need to you know, get the training stimulus to develop physically, develop that robustness, avoid the potential for injury. So it's the important part is develop the relationship with the coaches. Can we create the best training scenario possible for, all, for each individual player? Um, that's probably the biggest challenge is, is, is finding those, those solutions for each individual um, and you've got to take it case by case um, I suppose these solutions also come with, with the different managers and the different styles of play um, even in my time at MK Dons I've sort of worked under two managers and they do have very different styles different um, ideas as a manager so as a practitioner we, we've got to be able to adapt what we believe and our philosophies and try and work into their regimes with the least amount of risk. Um, You know, an example is probably a manager that maybe will follow a tactical periodization model. You know, the players are going to be naturally overloaded in training. So are you going to do additional speed work on top? Probably not. But then your challenge then as practitioner is then training session design rather than the actual work you're doing. Are you working with the coaches? to make sure you're getting exactly what you need physically from the training session itself. Um, You know, at the end of the day, our job is to, yes, it's to, to physically develop players and make them stronger, fitter, more powerful. But essentially we need to be getting the strongest 11 on the pitch. Um, And I think that's probably the biggest challenge. It's the pressure of getting your strongest 11 and, and, giving the team the best chance possible for a result, how are we doing that within training? You know, that, that could be just simply working with the coaches on session design, um, and that could be your biggest influence you might have. Um, whereas, you know, in an, in an academy environment, you do have the luxury of, okay, we're going to do this gym session now, this, this session now. They might be a bit tired going into a Saturday game, but it's about a long-term development. Whereas in the football league, it's that Saturday match matters and and the result really matters for a lot of people and a lot of people's career. So it's sort of having that balance, the balancing act of of the whole squad's needs, really. That's the biggest thing, I think.
0: And I know you touched on a little bit of speed exposure there for the players. So... Can we go into a bit more detail on that and how you guys approach that through the season and make sure that the players are getting the right exposure and possibly some of the mistakes that you've seen made regarding speed exposure as well?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the demands of football in general have increased. There's no doubt about it. You know, players are exposed to a much higher intensity. The demand to complete high distances in, in high speed zones and sprint zones are much higher. So, we have to develop a program that, that enables a player to be able to cope with that and, and develop the tools needed for that performance and then to avoid, as I said, the potential for injury, which is probably our, one of our most important roles. You know, our players will have set markers on what they need to complete each week. Um, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel. This will just be based off their chronic workload. This may be placed off uh, a positional point of view, uh, a tactical demand point of view. And that's placed upon them. Um, we have to always be pushing their chronic load up each week to make sure we're developing them and actually and actually improving them as an athlete, but not too much that they're under under that risk of injury. You know, we'll ask how many times a week of our player completing a maximal sprint above 95% of their of their max velocity. Um, we'll monitor that. Um, you know, in design is this done through runways is this done specifically in training um you know the importance of max, maximal effort is, is so big in in terms of um soft tissue injury prevention you know in particular, sort of the hamstring strain incidents you know the work the guys do, do at Southampton and, and the research paper that they brought out you know it's such a big factor um in terms of uh, strengthening and, and the mechanical cycle are we exposing sort of the players to the correct amount of high speed or, or sprint distance, you know, that is specific to them and specific to their position, um, and not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Um, I think the key thing that we always work with as well is the speed exposure stuff that we do. It, it's not always linear. It's not always straight line running. Um, it's multi-directional, the acceleration, deceler- deceleration, components, the density of the runs, you know, how, how, how are the distances getting done? How are the high-speed distances getting done? Um, all the work that's been published on on curve sprinting and the movement patterns required—all of these are sort of essential factors that we're considering when we're approaching any speed exposure training. Um, and, it, and it's stuff that I'm sure loads of practitioners are doing. We're just monitoring it each week. Um, we have the luxury that um, we managed to upgrade our GPS system to the, to the new Vector catapult system um which has got a greater sort of live feedback so we can know exactly after each session or during each session where we are we know exactly where we are in each week and if players need topping up then then we'll top them up or we'll work with the coaches to to design a session that will get the work in and be specific to their position specific to to football rather than just setting up two cones and saying here you go run between these two cones um I think one of the biggest mistakes that, that is being made regarding speed exposure is probably being worried or, or scared about pushing a player's level of exposure. I think at times, and I have touched on to it, you know, one of our roles is to, to put 11 players on the pitch um, and then the strongest 11 possible. And I think at times we can be a little safe. Um, we can be, we're a bit worried about overloading or, or you know, causing injury. And we all know the risks of, of potential injury and, and, and the impacts that does have. But I think by not putting them under the stress or exposing them to, to appropriately high levels, you know, high loads, making sure that we're not spiking them or anything, if we're not doing that, then we will ultimately cause injury anyway. If we're underloading them or, or being too safe, I think we'll, we'll ultimately cause an injury anyway. I think, you know, we do have to tread that line of overloading them I think I've said it said it earlier that we are having that balancing act and we've got to tread the line of of doing more but not too too much um, and I think you know we must get away from the culture of being and being a bit number driven you know you see people saying oh we're overreacting to a potential raised output you know oh my god player X has just done 300 metres too much high speed this week you know let's wrap him in cotton wool like relax i think he'll be fine like he'll, he'll be able to cope as long as it's not like a ridiculous spike and then i think you need to have a, a level a sensible level of sort of balance of hard work and, and continual low progression but just not overdoing it and i think that's the biggest mistake that people are making that they can be too safe at times and, and they're too too number too number driven you know i think we'll all agree that just hard work will cause an adaptation um sometimes we can be a little bit too number driven and making sure we get it down to the exact meter. Um, and as long as you've got your framework in place, um, you, you're doing things consistently each week and, and you're, you've got your your program and your style of training is in place each week and it's consistent, then the injuries will, will not occur and, and they'll reduce and, and you'll be able to develop speed and, and put your strongest 11 out on the pitch, and as I said that's
0: that's what we're here to do. I think it's interesting because I think that ties in quite nicely with what you mentioned about kev before as well with with not sitting behind laptops, isn't it? It's, it's taking the the big picture and um, using the data when you need it, but then obviously using your your, your coaching as well and your, and your coaching eye to see that when you need to act, and like you said about people saying that there's so many metres under high speed, um, a high speed distance, it's, it's knowing that, isn't it, and taking into account a lot of the other factors as well?
1: Yeah, of course, we, we have to use data, and, and that's why we spend so much money on, on GPS, and, and there are companies like Catapult and StatSports doing, doing great work, and we have to use that data, but I don't think we need to be reliant on that data. Let's like say, use your coach's eye, use your coach's instincts that we have um, at times, yes, your player is going to need to be overloaded and he might come out a bit a bit tired and a bit fatigued, but ultimately in the long run, they will adapt to that and they will be a better athlete because of it. Um, if we always stayed safe and we didn't want to do anything and, and we never wanted to push a player or do anything, work with the player because we're scared of an injury, then we're never going to improve. As a player, as a team, um, as a practitioner, you're never going to improve. So, so that's the biggest thing that, that we can do is get out and work with players hard work and and making sure it's sensible and
0: and that's your winning formula really I hope you're enjoying this episode with Matt so far there's plenty of information in there and I hope you're taking plenty of notes like I did I just wanted to give you a quick heads up on the football fitness online community so we've um, had an upgrade on the community the community is a place where we hold a lot of our network meeting videos we've got webinars on there and some discussions on there And it's something we're going to look to grow over the next few months. So all the upcoming network meetings are going to be on there, the presentations for the network meetings. If you want to join, you want to go and have a look at the online community, just head over to footballfitfed.com and click the community tab on the top right hand side and that will take you through to the link that you can join. It's only $4.99 a month and there's plenty of information on there. So go and check it out. And how would you say your approach um, to your speed work has, has changed over the last few years, Max? Because obviously there's more research coming out on, like you mentioned before, curved sprints. Um, and, 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 well, there's loads of research on change of direction and, and different things like that. So how's that implemented or been implemented in your practice?
1: Um, we kind of will we'll follow through a similar framework or we'll, we'll float. Thro- flow through a cycle of, of different stimulus at different times, I think it 's important that you don 't always have a one type of work that you 're working on, and, and you just stick to that. Um, we will at times work linearly, we will always have straight line running um, and at times we will add change direction in and really accel, detail heavy work and and the sort of the density of the runnings that uh, you, that you have and, and curve sprinting and then you 've got to have the balance. Um, of course, you, you do have to have, you can't do everything all at once. Um, so you've got to just sensibly adapt to each to each cycle, um, do the certain things on certain days. Um, at times, you might not have to do anything. If your session design is done properly with the coach, if your relationship with the coaches is, is good and you can communicate and get your point across and, and they believe in, in sports science and they believe and they understand what you're trying to get out of it and, and what, you, what you're trying to do, then you should be able to get that within session in the most specific way possible, mm-hmm. you know, actually playing football. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for us that we can do now. You know, I used to have, um, for example, it used to be a Max velocity day on a Thursday and, you know, regardless of, of what the session would be, you know, you'd have to do your runways. You'd have to get your... Yeah, work above 95% of max you'd have to get it in there and then whereas now I can be a little bit more adaptable a little bit more um, work with the coaches in terms of their session design so no we don't have to do it at, You know, on top of what they're already doing if they're doing it in the training session and they're doing it in the most specific way possible in terms of playing football then, then that's the best thing you can do um, I think people can be too um, relying on just sticking to their program and not being adaptable and, and especially with speed exposure work you, you don't need to be overloading them too much as long as they're getting the work in and they're working hard in training then you're really doing everything you can
0: Yeah it comes down to that experience doesn't it and not being rigid with the program um, and looking at the sort of current situation and acting upon that doesn't it?
1: Yeah it is and like I said that like you said earlier, the coach's eye, that coach's instinct, that um, trust in the program in the long term as well. Um, You know, if for whatever reason you have it planned um, that they're going to do X session um, and you sort of in your head or on paper you think you're going to plan to get X amount of sprint distance or each player should be able to hit whatever percentage of their max V and they don't do it that day, then then that's just the way it is. That's, you don't need to then panic and, and then get out on the next day and, and sprint them first thing in the morning because they haven't hit it that week. Like, it'll be okay. Um, and you can just make sure that you sensibly get it done the week after or the week after. You know that's, It's a long-term picture. You can't be just focused on, on the one day or the, or the one week. Um, I think that's the, the key. Everyone gets a little bit too short-term minded. Um, think big picture, um, and everything will will be okay if you if you have that program in place.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that th- this is something that we're not touched too much on in previous uh, podcasts. I think we've done a little bit with some of the physios that have been on regarding injury, but I think it'd be great to discuss return to play and getting um, some input from you on how you're getting players back up to speed. So it's just some some general key considerations and then we can go in delve into a little bit more detail on the actual process
1: yeah so a, a large part of, of the role i do have at mk is working with rehab players out on the pitch um you know we we work as a really close department at the club um the physio Sam crampton and ross they're, they're very very good s c coach tom bromley we all work as one um and we do constantly communicate and we and we sort of do all have a role in the return to play. It's not a simple case of they're injured, they work with the physios, he's fit, he's now with, with the fitness coach or with, with backing training. It, it doesn't work like that. There are a constant um, sort of blend across the roles and there's a constant communication and, and the player will always go through um, the whole process, you know, as a, as a, with us as a department. Um, I suppose my role from a return to play is straight away in terms of a conditioning hit, you know, from day one of injury, you know, say it's a long-term injury, they will sort of maintain a conditioning program from, from day one, whether it's off feet, hand bike, what bike, um, you know, you'll progress through that. Um, And then when they continue up until the point where they're out on the grass, we will work with the the medical team and, and with, in terms of speed metrics or any metrics we're trying to hit, each day um, and and sort of the the checkpoints that they need to to tick off for them, you know, straight line running exposure, the change of direction, progressions. um, From a a speed exposure point of view, they will always do straight line running first um, and will make sure that they are generating up to a decent speed, pain-free. And this will largely be um, done by the medical team. Um, This is sort of a... Return to, return to conditioning type checkpoint. You know, can they um, complete straight line running at specific speeds at, you know, 50% of max V, 60, 70, 80%. And then once they are at sort of 80 to 90% through sort of um, increased demand runs or, or straight line runways, then we can, I can start having an influence on their conditioning um, and also making sure that we are um, returning them into training in the best sort of condition possible. Um, I think that's the biggest influence that we can have in terms of when we return them into training, they are um, in the best possible shape they can be in. Whether that is um, from an aerobic conditioning point of view, whether that's um, from a speed exposure point of view, we've got the time and, and the contact time with the players that we can make sure we've definitely ticked off everything we need to do. Um, they will progress sort of through their speed exposure, through the rehab. Like I said, it's not just about making sure they have ticked off the percentage of each um, max velocity. So, okay, he's hit 90% of his max V. Oh, he's great. He can go back into training because football is a little bit more, um, high intensity it's a little bit more demanding than just one run at 90% of their max that, can they do that repeatedly? Can they do sort of high speed running, with a change of direction in the middle, can they work at different densities, can they work at, at different intensities and and do it repeatedly? Um, I think that's the key that we can have. Um, you know, we, as I said, we have the physical outputs live. So whatever we have, whatever um, targets we want to hit, specific metrics or specific um, distances that we want to hit or, or speeds, we'll discuss this with the player beforehand. We will give the player that ownership and, and that influence on their rehab. You know, they need to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, and that engagement and that education will ultimately just increase their compliance and their their um, intent in the session. That's the biggest thing that we can do in terms of drive intent is give them the education. Um, and then from there, as it's nothing groundbreaking. We're just manipulating volume we're manipulating intensity we're making once their physical competence and their tolerance is is been okayed by the by the medical team all we're doing is you know making the player be able to 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 complete a higher workload with more intensive drills and more specific position specific drills and then that will enable them to return into training without sort of the fewest problems possible um that's pretty much it we're not it's nothing groundbreaking but we're just slowly exposing them to speeds the amount of speeds um, how they are getting to, to the speed and, and, the, and the different types of run so when they're returning to, to training they are in the best position they can, they can be in really
0: I think the biggest thing that sticks out for me there is when you spoke about um, sort of getting the player involved in, in the planning and giving them the reasons why behind the program. And it, it ties in with one of the episodes we did with um, with Tony Tumpos, uh, Tony Tomposs up at uh, Aberdeen, where we did one on specifically ACL rehab. And he was speaking very much about keeping the player, like giving the player choices throughout the rehab as well, and um, getting them to make decisions. Because if they make the decisions on the program, then they're going to buy into it more. Obviously, the mindset's going to be in a better place. And I suppose that is that fair to say that ta- that ties in similar to what you were saying then. Oh, without a doubt.
1: You know, we throughout even from from day one, if they're injury, if say it's a long term injury, and they're going to be with us for five months, for example, they are going to need to have a massive influence on what they do. Because if you if they, if you've got five months with a player and you're saying you're doing this, you're doing this, um, and you're doing this session today, then they're not going to engage in it. If you say, look this is the type of session we need to get today. What do you like to do? Whether it's, you know, um, upper body conditioning, um, or if it's a hand bike session, some players will just absolutely loathe sitting on a hand bike um, and for half an hour and they'll absolutely hate it and they'll get no intent out of the session and they just won't get anything out of it. Whereas they might enjoy a boxing session or some, some battle ropes or some upper body conditioning. So where the heart rate's high and we're getting the, sort of the conditioning hit that we need, but they're actually enjoying it. And then that goes into the same out on the pitch. You know, the player will understand his position. He'll understand what he needs from, from his position and, and sort of the demands on that. So we've got to work with the player to design a drill that he best sees is going to help him in his position. There's no point having a centre-back um, that is, for example, the middle centre back of a back three. That the demands in terms of uh, repeatedly high speeds isn't isn't as great. But well, all we're going to do is just loads of box to boxes. That's not specific to him. It's not specific to his position. How can we incorporate some some more specific work into it, but still getting the the exposure, the the conditioning element that we need, and you know from a psychological mindset perspective allowing the player to have um, sort of a bit of control and input it's the biggest thing and educating the player that when they come back to it they know exactly what they've done that's the best thing that that you can do Um, a lot of players if you just bark at them and, and tell them this is what they're doing and they've got no they've got no choice or they've got no they've got no input, then they're not going to do it or they'll do it in with the least amount of effort possible. Um, whereas if you get the player engaged, get the player um, want to work with intent, you will probably have them wanting to do more and wanting to continue the work when they are returned to training. You know, that's one of our things. Is It's not simply he's returned to training, his conditioning is stopped. Whereas he returns training we still need to top him up and often if you've got the player engaged in their rehab they will understand that and they will come to you after training and say we need to do this we need to do that can I do a little bit more whereas if you've not got that engagement with the player once they return into training that's it they'll just won't speak to you again so that is that is massive for me
0: I think that's really interesting because it brings together a lot of different variables, doesn't it? In terms of, you touched on the psychology of the player. like It might be that that player wants to be confident doing a movement on the pitch that suits their game, but that's where the injury actually occurred. And and they need to improve that confidence around that movement. Um, It it ties in with the style of play of the actual player as well, doesn't it? The type of player they are as well as the position. So that relationship is really important in giving them the... The choice, obviously, with you guiding it is, is vital, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's, 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 if you're setting up a drill for a player um, and they're looking at it like, why am I doing this? this is, I will never do this in a game or I will never be required to do this. Like, what, What's the point of me doing this? What, if, if you're getting that sort of reaction, then you're not going to get anything out of that drill. If you're explaining it, look, this is, this is the movement pattern we're trying to work on. This is why they'll go, okay, I understand that. I need to do that. That's what I do a lot. I need to make sure I'm right when doing that. Then you will complete that session, then they'll go back to training full of confidence, making sure knowing that they can do it. And again, you're gonna to return to training with, with the least amount of problems um possible and, and any chance of sort of re-injury.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, I think that's great. Um I think you covered some really good stuff there. I think, I think the speed exposure stuff and the return to play is definitely in two areas that we could delve into a lot deeper. Um, there's a lot of other stuff that we could go into, but I think we've covered it quite nicely there. Um, uh, if anyone's got any questions, Matt, where, where's the best, to re- uh, best place to reach out? Um, you can
1: get me on Twitter, um, pop me a message on Twitter, or I am sure I think my email might be on, on their Twitter page. I'm not sure. Um, if not, it's Matthew.wilmot at mkdons.com. Um, just pop me an email, um, and I, I'll try and answer as much as I can. I know I've sort of rambled on a little bit, and I've gone off on tangents, and and, and probably repeated myself about a thousand times. But I'm happy to answer anything anyone wants, or um, has any further questions, or if I've not quite explained anything properly, or you know, confused and made a tit out of myself. I'd like to explain it properly, properly. But um, just get in touch, and, and I'm happy to answer anything anyone needs.
0: That's quality mate and uh, we wish you all the best for the rest of the season and, and the, the game this weekend um, and we'll we'll catch up soon. Oh, thank you very much. Cheers Matt. Cheers Ben, thanks pal. Big thank you to Matt for coming on the podcast. It was great to speak to him and, speak, and chat through everything that's going on down at MK. Some of my biggest takeaways were uh, being adaptable within your program, which has been a common topic of conversation with a lot of different coaches, having the ability to adapt the program and not be rigid with your programming, also giving the um, the power to a player in a rehab program, and it's something we spoke in quite in, in a lot of depth about with Tony Tompos up at Aberdeen um, when we did the ACL. A specific podcast, I think it was around episode 27 off the top of my head, but I'm, I might be wrong with that one, but go and check that one out. He spoke about that a lot as well, giving the power to the player and letting the player make decisions along the way to get the buy-in and keep the confidence of the player when they're returning to play. And then also the, the um, title of this episode, Treading the Line of Overload, I thought that was a really key phrase I took from the podcast that, that Matt described in the episode so again, big thank you to Matt for coming on. It was great to have him on. You can go and follow him on Twitter. He's M. Wilmot, which is double T and then 90. So go and give him a follow and check out the work he's doing down at MK. It'd be great as well to see as many of you guys at our upcoming network meetings. So we have two meetings now confirmed. Um, we're going to be at Middlesbrough on Wednesday, the 13th of November, 6 till 9 p.m., And then we are going to be up at Celtic Park on Tuesday, the 19th of November, 6 till 9 p.m. It'll be great to see as many of you guys there as possible. The tickets are available on our website, footballfitfed.com. And you just click the network meeting and events tab at the top. Again, thank you very much for listening. If you haven't done so already, please, please go and leave us a review. And we'll speak to you again next week.